Um, you okay? Okay. She doesn't because everything goes back to identity. It's a shortness problem. It's a shortness problem. Um, I'm going to ask you a question in just a minute. But again, today is Valentine's Day, and I know. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Thank Day. Thank you for beating me on that. Happy Valentine's Day as well. And since it's Valentine's Day and we can't really go out tonight, I mean, just because I'm sure a lot of things are going to be closed. We can have a, do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. <laughs> That's not what today's message is about. It's not us a, a singing, you know, Disney songs. It can be romantic. Thing it could be romantic. But I thought about, you know, since we can't take a long walk somewhere, let's take a long walk, a long romantic walk to the fridge. Can't, I'm on a diet. Oh, well, I will take a long romantic walk by myself to the fridge today. Who's going to join me? Anyone? All right. Uh, Mike said he, he will join <laughs> He will join in that. <laughs> That's just going to be weird. Anyway. <laughs> How about a long friendship walk? Yeah, there we go. Long friendship walk. <laughs> for sure. I have, some, I have some chili in the fridge. You guys can have some chili. And... Oh, man. It's just, it's, it's already going downhill. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. All right. Again, a couple of fun questions. Please stay with us. There is a purpose to all this today. Don't jump off right now. Uh, just a couple of fun questions, and I want you to be engaged. Uh, Michael's back here, and he's going to try to help me with some of these. But I want you to be engaged with us in some of these me? questions online. Engaged. Yes. Mike, Michael's engaged. Michael's engaged. <laughs> Are you still engaged, Michael? Is that the kind of engaged you were talking about? That's the kind of okay. engaged that I was well, not since talking we're talking about romantic, it's there was Valentine's. There a slight pause engaged. with him Boom. when I asked him. Oh, we said at the moment. I'm sorry, Christina. At the moment, he's still engaged. So everything is good. <clears throat> Um, let's see here. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's some fun ones on here. Justin usually enjoys some of these because I hear about it later. You know, he's enjoyed like the cutting off of the, the Hollywood bangs or whatever it was. <laughs> I thought, I thought of a good one, you know, with, with Valentine's day, you know, you should tell us the story of your first crush. I'm not asking you to do that, but maybe online if you want to quickly or just share it with people in your house. Because it probably is just going to get bad if you share it online. But talk about your first crush, especially to your kids. I'm sure they'll enjoy that. I like Orange Crush. Orange Crush? I like Orange Crush, too. All right, let's ask this question. It's just a fun, random question. We'll do, like, two of them, then we'll get into it. What is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? You've already asked me this one. I know, but it's, it's a good one. It's just a good one. What's the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? I already told you that. But some people might not have heard it. I know, but I hate repeating things. Okay, all right. Ask well, me a different question. Ask you a different question. Okay. Um, is that the uh, most embarrassing thing you've ever happened to you? Uh, basically. Me telling you. Basically. I've already done that one. <laughs> What's the best knock-knock joke you know? Knock-knock. <laughs> is there? Orange. Orange you. Orange you. Glad it's snowing. Do you want to build a snowman? Oh, my. Please stay with us. <laughs> Please. Please. Okay. Um, keeping it engaged you're, you're keeping it something you know what Engaging. i'm just i'm just, I'm just going to forget these questions because okay. i think we're just going to go I completely, agree. Let's completely be spiritual. off topic all right let's ask this one what comes to mind when you think of love so i hope you do engage with this question but what comes to mind when you think of the word love so let's go off to amanda on this question first of all i think of the princess bride the princess bride <clears throat> mm -hmm. okay explain well, it's the whole, like, as you wish. And then she realizes that means love. And then they get married. And then marriage. Marriage is what points us together today. True love. True love. Those Sorry. that are joining the first time are like, <laughs> what are they doing? I've We've been cooped it. up in my house for yes. several days. We've lost it. We've completely lost it. 
Princess Bride. You're not here in person. Because he does everything that she wishes. Fawn boy, get that picture for me, Hmm. as you wish. That's love. So if you want to know, like if I say husband. What comes to my mind when I think of love is Amanda, my loving wife. It's a great thing on Valentine's Day to say, right? Yes. I had some laughs in the back. I don't know why they were laughing, but anyway. Oh, what comes funny. to your mind when you think of love? There's a reason for this because that's kind of the topic that we're going to discuss today. And again, it's going to center around identity. We've been talking about identity for the past two years. And I got some things that I want to share with you, really some things that the Lord's been putting on my heart and my mind, even through some books that I've read and even just passages of scripture. And I think, and I know it will be a help and blessing to you, but what comes to your mind? Anybody at all have anything? Mike, did you have something? Some online? Did you say tacos? Oh, Justin said tacos. I, kn- I knew I heard someone say tacos. So, all right, Michael, what do we have? What do we have online? Uh, my family. Family? Someone to care about forever? Care about forever. My husband. My husband. Uh, kindness, but- and kindness and patience. Okay, that's good. Anyone else? Take a moment. What do, you, what do you think of when you think of love? What do you think of when you think of love? Just think about that. Continue to, to share online some answers. Let me ask this question now, Amanda. Because this goes with the topic at hand. <laughs> it's a deep one. Where, where do most people root their identity? Um, some root it in whether they're married or not. Okay. Some root it in their friends, depending on if they have enough friends or if they, um, if they get to spend a lot of time with their friends, those kinds of things. Some root it, their identity in their job, depending okay. on, I mean, you want the best job, and if you have just a normal, everyday job, sometimes that can be frustrating. Yes, I agree. I, I think there's so many things we can talk about with identity, as we have in the past two years, but you think about that. Where do people root their identity I think a lot of times, I, I probably have shared this before, but I know it's in one of my, the books that I've been reading here recently. You know, a lot of times people base their identity on what they do, on what they have, and what they desire. And you can easily go off on all three of those topics for the next several minutes, but a lot of times our identity is based on what we do. What, what kind of job do I have? What is making me successful in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of others? Uh, what do I have in, really, a lot of times, it's what do I have in comparison to others? And I've seen that firsthand in my life. I've seen it in the, hand, in the life of other people as well. But then what do I desire? What, what are the things that I truly desire? And I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I, I dare say that many of us, if not all of us at certain times, the things that we desire are probably not truly Christ-honoring. Would you agree with that, Amanda? Yes, I agree. What do you think are some things that we desire that Jesus probably isn't too happy with? Isn't too happy. Isn't the one. Um, well, honestly, I do think the friendship thing can be based on that because God wants us to desire him above all. And a lot of times we think that if we don't have enough friends or the right friend, then our life is over. Hmm. And we get discouraged, and we don't fit in, and, and oh, let's not, let's talk about the C word, clicks. Clicks, yeah. <laughs> so we think that 
this, this group of people hangs out too much and they don't include me and this group of people does this and this group of people does that and God says, what about me? Why don't, why don't you just desire me? I am, you know, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So honestly, that would be something that I have seen recently. Mm. I think that is a big one right now. A lot of people, and I read a book on that, a lot of people, friendships are a big deal in our generation right now. And if you don't have friends, then who are you? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And even on the friendship or just even relationship, again, a lot of people base their identity on who their friends are, like you were talking about, or who they're in a relationship, whether they have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whether they, they are married or not. And I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. And the point that I've been trying to make for the past two years, and even Amanda in helping me with podcasts and other things that we've discussed, even during EQ times, the, the, the point of emphasis is the, is the knowledge of whether or not you have an earthly relationship or not. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, you have a heavenly relationship that supersedes all other relationships. And that's something that we have to take stock in, that we have to take hope in, that the relationship that we have with Jesus is greater, is better than any human relationship. Because any human relationship is, honestly, it's, it's based on failure. And I'm not trying to say that in a bad way. But if you look to that person to be your savior, they're going to let you down. Anyone that's married and even right now that are watching together, you can point out multiple flaws with your spouse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have, I have too many flaws to talk about. And again, my loving wife points them out lovingly to me so often in my life. And I'm very thankful for those, those loving flaws that she points out. But if you look to someone else as your savior, then they're, they're going to fail you. They're going to, they're going to let you down. And because they were never intended to be your savior. But a lot of times we, oh, I, I, I desire this relationship. I desire this person so much. And again, I, I've seen it firsthand. We go after that who we desire and it ends in turmoil. It ends in failure. So before I dive deeper, I mean, let's just sit, sit on this for a second. Why do you think it often ends in failure, Amanda? Because we were created to have communion with God, the eternal one. And friendships of the earth are temporal. They're yeah. something that isn't going to last. So if we were created to do something and we aren't doing that, then we're, it's going to end in failure. Yes. So that's, I mean, honestly, that's, that's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's the answer. We can, again, there's so much to expound upon. I'm trying not to go so deep into certain conversations because there's something I'm trying to get us to. But I personally think, and this is what I've been sharing the past couple of years, some of the greatest problems in our churches today are the fact that Christians don't truly know who they are. Mm -hmm. This is something we've been talking about in our house just for the past few days and really the past few weeks. I think a lot of Christians don't truly understand the truest thing about them, who they truly are. Uh, and really, when you struggle with your identity, you're going to struggle living the Christian life in the way that God has intended you to live. Um, and again, identity is, is the struggle for, for everyone. And really what we're trying to do as the pastor, what I'm trying to do is trying to help shift the culture, to change the culture. So Amanda, just quickly, why, why do you think there needs to be a major culture shift in Christians' lives and in the lives of people in church in general? 
kind of a weighted question. Yeah. It's a very weighted question. Reweight it? <laughs> yes, reweight it. Um, Return it. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, we don't think right about ourselves. No. We have a wrong view. And what I've learned is that right thinking will lead to right living because it creates a gospel-centric culture. So what we're trying to develop and help people unpack is understanding what their gospel identity like looks like. So in that, what 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 is the importance of shifting our cultural thinking to gospel centeredness instead of self-centeredness, man-centeredness. Does that help a little bit? Well, yes, but I think you kind of answered it in your question. I think that that's what we so often tend to do is focus on ourselves and focus on what we want and what we desire, but God desires so much more for us, but it's scary to want to desire what God desires for us because it does involve losing. It does involve taking up your cross and following him, and that's not easy. But we as humans want the easy way. Yes. But honestly, when you go through the hard, when you do truly focus on Christ, there's something very fulfilling about that hard, those hard seasons that you go through because you come out stronger and you come out being able to be a blessing to others and to, you want to talk about Christ more. Correct. Correct. You know, one thing I've got here in my notes and, you know, I thought about it before, but Christianity, it doesn't just look like a cleaner version of our regular life. Mm -mm. It's a whole new life. And I think a lot of people mistake that as they become Christians. It's, I think they're maybe expecting too much of themselves or too much of God and it goes back to understanding who they are. I think when you truly understand who you are, you'll live the way that you're supposed to live and the way that you're intended to live. And again, Paul so many times in his epistles, he hit on really what gospel centeredness looked like and really identity that is rooted in Christ. And that's where I want to focus on for just a few minutes this morning um, if, you, if you want to give it a title, I'll let you say something, but it's this. It's an identity that's rooted in love. And an identity rooted in love is identity rooted in Christ, which I'll explain in just a second. But did you have something you're about to say? Well, I was going to say, with since we're talking about this, I think that when we, when we set our minds to live like Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that the temptations that we've had from the past are going to go away. But that's why God says, look, you have to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I think what happens is we don't do that. We don't love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. We love him with part of our heart, part of our soul. We don't, it's, our focus isn't all on him. And that's what it comes down to. And so then when the temptation comes, we get discouraged because we generally end up falling back into those temptations of our past. But God just says, if you would just love me, don't love, I mean, don't, don't focus on that, but just love me with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, then the temptation is going to still be there, but your desire is going to be to love God. And so then it's, you're able to fight it. Correct. That's, that's a great point. Um, and really, that really leads to the first point of emphasis today. I don't have notes for the screen. If you want to jot these things down, you can feel free to. 
But in understanding our identity and understanding how it's centered in love and based on love and how we should love God, first and foremost, because he's first loved us. But point of emphasis that I've, I wrote down this morning is that I even read this here recently in a book. Jesus was given an identity by his father and his identity was centered around love. And it stood out to me when I read that chapter because Jesus himself, he should know who he is. And he, he does. He, he did know who he was. But everything he did, it wasn't just for himself. It was for his father, but it was also for us to show us what the Christian life looks like, to show us how we should live. And there's a passage, if you want to turn there quickly, we're going to be in Matthew 3 and then also probably in Ephesians 5 a little bit later. Matthew 3 is the part of the story where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And it's an amazing story. It's a, it's a powerful story. And there's so many things about baptism we can talk about, but the main point of emphasis with this is that Jesus himself was baptized so that he could identify with you. He was baptized so that he can identify with us as believers. And it's one of those things when you, when you study it out, and even the author of this book hits some amazing points of emphasis. In verse number 17 of chapter 3 of Matthew, it says this, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, Now this is when Jesus is there in the Jordan River, and he's being baptized. It says, This is my beloved son. So this is God himself talking to his son, Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, before I dive into this, Amanda, what do you think of when you just hear those words and think of the topic of identity? She doesn't know exactly where I'm going with this, but when you hear those words, when God himself is speaking to his son and says, hey, you are my beloved son, and I love you, and I am pleased with you, what, what comes to your mind when you think of that verse, just in general? The feeling of belonging, mm. I guess. I think that's good, feeling of belonging. And I think a lot of people struggle with, do I really belong? Do I really belong in this world? Do I really belong in the church that I'm in or my family? Um. <laughs> I want to read a couple excerpts from this book. And again, think about the words that Jesus is hearing from his heavenly father. A low voice from heaven saying, this is his heavenly father, this is God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If Hollywood was to do Jesus' baptism, it would not be staged at this point in his biography. The words from heaven that identified Jesus would not be spoken until later. Much later, the author says, after his ministry, after he healed multitudes, after temptation was fought and conquered, after the cross, after he did something, at the point in his life that Jesus was baptized, he hadn't done anything. Now, think about that. Let that set in. This point in Jesus' life and ministry, he had not done anything in the sense that we know the miracles and all of the things that were going to take place and transpire. Now, he was a carpenter, and he was a lot of other things. But here's the truth. Having done nothing, we would think worthy of praise. You think about that in your own life. Typically, you're praised. It's not before you do a job, right? No, it's after. It's after you do it's a job. After. Sorry. Well, all right, let's, let's settle on for that. 
Why, why are you typically praised after you do, do a job versus before you do a job? Because it's performance-based. Hmm. It's performance-based. But here's the reality. Now, there, there are things that we should do in the Christian life, but the, is the Christian life truly performance-based? It is not. It is not. And that's where I think we get hung up sometimes, that we're always trying to work, to achieve, to do, to do, to do, and those things are important. There is a place for that. But so many times we are trying to do things to achieve a certain status with God when he has already told us in his word who we are in him, who he views us as. And think about that. Having done nothing that we think worthy of praise, Jesus heard God's declaration about his identity before he completed his work. Before the work was even given to him, Jesus heard the truest thing about him. And that that's where I want to just resonate in your heart and your mind for just a minute. I want you to let that sink in. Let it soak in. Here's a scene of a father talking to his son. Hey, I love you, and I am very pleased with you. And the kid hasn't done anything. Now think about that in the relationship to parenting. A lot of times we reward our kids based on something they did. They clean up the room. Hey, great job. Let me give you something. Let me praise you for what you have done. But God does the opposite here. Hey, before you do anything, I want you to understand what I think of you, that I love you. You are loved with an everlasting love. You are accepted. It just, it kind of blows my mind when I think about it. You're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. The, the writer in this book, he says, he said, a recent book that I read opens with a piercing question. Imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? Now, what, what again, we've got a lot of loaded questions today, but what do you think a typical response would be to that question for a typical person, a typical Christian? Let me ask it again. Imagine God is thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to his mind? If you ask a, a typical Christian, probably they're saying, well, he's probably disappointed in me hmm. because I keep messing up. I keep doing the same old things and I keep having to come back and say, I'm sorry. Or sometimes I just don't even care. Sometimes I do it knowing it's wrong and I don't care. So probably he's not very happy with me at all. Correct. And that's what the writer said. He said, most people talk about the disappointment factor, mm-hmm. that God has to be disappointed with us. And that's why everything's going wrong in my life, because he's punishing me for it. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's another deep topic as well. But again, some of the things that happen to us in our life, it's not God punishing us, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's our own actions and the fruit of those actions, because what you sow, you reap. You reap. It's going to happen. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And some people are like, oh, I can't believe God just keeps punishing me. Well, have you lived a life of sin and continued to live a life of sin? And have you put things into your life that shouldn't be there? That's not God's punishment. No, it's cause and effect. It's cause and effect. Exactly. And that's, again, what most people think that, oh, God is disappointed with me. That because I'm not achieving his standard. Now, I think as a, as a father, there are times where he probably is disappointed in, this, in the fact that we are not being who we're supposed to be, 
but it's not, I can't believe you're an idiot. You're a moron. I mean, that's not how God views us. That's how we view ourselves. That's how we view other people. But you think about that. You're my son. (laughs) I'm pleased with you. It's not a provisional pleasing. It's not, you're my son. I love you. Don't screw up. I mean, that's kind of what we think. You're my son, you're my child, you're my friend, I love you, but don't screw up, don't mess up, don't fail me, don't let me down, don't ruin my life, my view, you know, all right, go on, have a good life, good luck. That's not what happened here. Instead, Jesus was given an identity by his father, and that identity was one that was centered around love. Anything you want to add to that? I think you did it. <laughs> okay, good. good job. Oh, man, there's so much I want to talk about with that. But again, understanding our identity, that our identity first and foremost is centered around love. And Jesus himself was given an identity by his father. And the identity was centered around love. You see, identity is this. It's a deep knowledge of where I come from, where I'm going, and to whom I belong. And what we have to learn first as a Christian is that we are deeply loved by God because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it is Valentine's Day, and it's a day of love and roses and everything else. And, you know, we want to talk about the word love. But in understanding true love, we have to understand the love that God, our Heavenly Father, has for us through His Son, Jesus. And that's the same thing that God says to His Son is the same thing that Jesus says to us. If you are saved, if you are a child of God... You are my beloved child, and I am pleased with you. I accept you. <laughs> I forgive you. I've redeemed you. I have chosen you. Again, understanding what Christ thinks of us. It's not, you moron, you good-for-nothing, no-good individual. This is the basis for it all. This is where we have to start. But then, let me, let me just quickly shift gears a little bit for the next few minutes. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, again, spends so much time talking about identity and really even the love that we should have towards God and Christ and the love that he has towards us. Let me read these verses, just the first two verses. This is a passage where he's basically telling the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus here, to walk in love. Verse number one, he says this, "'Be therefore followers of God as dear children.'" Verse number two, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. What I have written down is this. We've talked about our identity should be centered around love, the love that God has for us. But really, let's go on another step, another fashion with that. The foundation of our new identity then is this, imitating and loving like Jesus. So with just those verses, Amanda, do you have anything you want to share concerning those verses? Let me read it again, give you time to think about it. Understanding that our a foundation of our identity, our new identity is imitating and loving like Jesus. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Okay, so the first verse says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Children. So basically he's saying, live like you're loved. Yeah. 
live like God loves you. But more often than not, we're living like we are trying, we're trying to earn God's love, but he already loves us. And so if we're truly going to walk in the love of God, we have to live like we're loved instead of living like, oh, I missed my devotions today. So totally disappointed God. Or I didn't pray, or I was selfish in this, or this or that. And it's like we're trying to earn his love, but we already have it. And so since we already have it, the things that we do, the desire to read God's word, the desire to pray, the desire to think of others above ourselves, that should just come because we want people to live live in that love the same way we're living in it, instead of trying to earn it. Correct. And when you truly understand that someone loves you, not based on what you do for them, but when they truly love you, it changes your perspective. Mm -hmm. It changes your perspective of them. You don't then in turn do things to try to then earn their love. Mm -hmm. You just do it because you love them because Mm -hmm. they love you. And again, everything in our Christian life should flow from the love that God has for us and understanding that the reason I do anything, it's not performance-based. It's not to achieve a certain standard, to be more holy, to be more righteous. The Bible says we are made righteous through Christ. The reason why we do anything or we should do anything is based on love that God has for us and in turn that we have for God. And what these these verses are saying, what Paul is saying, be followers. Really, the word follower basically means imitator. It's been said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And we've all seen our kids imitate us. Now think about that. Imitate us in the good and the bad. Um, I'm sure Amanda can think of some ways that our boys imitate me, probably in the negative way. But think about that. Imitation. You imitate the one that you look up to. And a lot of times with a parent-child relationship, your children imitate you. And it's, it's funny. We've talked about this at home, and we've talked about this even with our church family, that... <laughs> I think a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, I mentioned it. You know, we, we like to go off on our, our children when they're doing something, and then our kids are like, um, why am I getting in trouble for it when you do it? When you do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. Like, wh- why are you going off on me for being lazy when you're lazy? Or why, why are you going off on me for, for not caring when you're not caring? Or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shut up, kid. Like, you just, you just listen to me. You don't you just go to your room. I mean, that's kind of how we can act sometimes. We don't tell our kids to shut up. We don't up. tell our kids to shut up. I'm saying everyone else tells our kids to shut up. We don't, right? <laughs> no. Sometimes. <laughs> but think about that word follower, imitator. In light of who we are in Christ, we are called to imitate God. Mm-hmm. The believer follows God first by becoming a follower of God. You can't become a follower of God if you're not saved, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that have a knowledge of God, but they have never asked Jesus Christ to save them of their sins. And I think, honestly, that's one of the biggest problems in not understanding our identity. People aren't truly saved. What? I know. And I, I say this because of conversations that we have, but, but I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And Amanda has shared her story where she thought for years, she was raised in a preacher's home, her dad's a pastor, still is. She knew what she was supposed to do, how she was supposed to live, the decisions she was supposed to make. But it wasn't until... I was 21. 21. Mm-hmm. It was sophomore or junior year. Uh, going into my junior year. Going into her junior year of college, at a Bible college, traveling with a senior group around the country to different churches, ministering to them. She realized she wasn't saved. She had gone through the motions. And honestly, I think in fear that there are a lot of 
quote-unquote Christians. There are a lot of churchgoers that are the exact same. Mm -hmm. And I think that's honestly why we struggle so much with our identity. Because there is no identity. Mm -hmm. You can't have an identity if you're not saved. If you're not anchored in Him. And really all the struggles, you look back at your past, all the struggles before that have to be a result of the fact that you had no identity. And you were searching. Now, did it mean everything was just settled and everything was just roses after that? No. no. You were still trying to figure out things and trying to find who you were. But again, the believer, first and foremost, must become a follower of God. And you can't become a follower of God if you're not saved. And once you trust Christ as your Savior, the goal is then to become more like Christ. And the idea here that Paul is talking about conveys commitment, devotion, allegiance, attention. The Greek word is mimete, which is where we get the word mimic. So as Christians, we are supposed to mimic God, do what God does. And really, I think even in mimicking, we should think like God, right? Mm -hmm. But again, so often we don't think like God. We think selfish thoughts, we think lustful thoughts. And again, that's the, that's the struggle of the sin nature. But we think things that aren't true about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And understanding the truest thing about ourselves goes back to even Genesis chapter 1, and I've shared this before. We have to understand that we were made in the image of God. We are His image bearers. We bear His image. And once we become saved, we are His children. We are His child. And again, if you see God doing something you're supposed to do, if you see God acting in some way, then you are supposed to act in that way. Here's the truth that we talked about earlier. Our children are born imitators. They imitate us. They imitate our actions. They imitate our words and say things that we say. I'm like, where did you get that from? Well, they're imitating. On a grander scale, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, we are called, if we are saved, to imitate God. Mm -hmm. So before I kind of wrap this up, Amanda... What are some things that you think we can do a better job in our life, in our Christian life, if we're saved, of truly imitating God? Follow Philippians chapter 2. Hmm. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought an robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Hmm. That's good. <laughs> so, I mean, that's where it's at. No. We, we don't live to serve. We live to be served. <laughs> and, and if we would just, if we would just step down from that mentality, I think a lot of things would kind of take care of themselves. Yeah. But because we, we're so, we're so busy trying to earn love, we become selfish. Yeah. But if we would just live like we're already loved, then it wouldn't matter. Yeah. It wouldn't matter if someone did something to us because... God loves me, and I don't have to do anything to earn it, but because we're striving so hard to earn his love, we often run over people mm. in the process of trying to get that love That's when true. in reality we already have it. And so, Phenomenal point. Phenomenal point. And then Paul continues really with that thought in verse number two. He says, and really this is our pattern. He says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. You know, love involves giving away of ourselves for the good of another, and that goes to the idea of service and serving other people, not just serving ourselves. It involves action. It involves sacrifice. Tim Keller points out that Paul doesn't say here, and it's, it's true. It's simple, but it's true. Paul says walk in love. He doesn't say sprint in love. When you think of sprinting, you think of, obviously, going fast, right? Yeah. Now, 
I know people that are training for half marathons or marathons, and they're running a lot, but I've never met someone that sprints everywhere they go. Have you? Mm, Roadrunner. A road, yeah, Roadrunner. <laughs> meet me. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <Sorry. laughs> Here's the truth. You can't sprint everywhere you go because yeah. eventually... You're going to run out of gas. You're going to run out of gas. You, it, it's, it's impossible to sprint everywhere from the time you start walking to just sprint because sprinting is really, it's short-lived. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're going to need a break. So Paul doesn't say, hey, sprint in love. He says, walk in love. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Love shouldn't be something that's short-lived, occasional, like sprinting. It should be natural and consistent like walking. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, once we learn how to walk, we don't have to then tell ourselves how to walk, how to take each step. Now, we have to force ourselves to sprint sometimes, but walking is just a natural part of our lives. And you're less likely to trip. And you're less likely to trip. Which you, it just depends on the person. Correct. (laughs) But. But here's the point. Anyone can love once, Mm -hmm. but our love is to be consistent, constant, unconditional. And that's what Paul was getting at. Walk in love as Christ loves you. Consistent in your love. Understanding that that love is the key to your identity. It's the key to everything. Again, we often put conditions on our love. You think about Valentine's Day. We put conditions on our spouse or the person that we're in a relationship with. You know, I love this person because of what they're doing. You know, again, imagine God's love towards you and for you were based on your prayer life. Imagine if God's love for you were based on your Bible reading. Imagine if God's love for you were based on your witnessing or your faith or your trust or your compassion. How much would he love you? Zero. Yeah, exactly. He'd love me like once a week or like every other day, depending on... Why? Because we fail in that. Mm -hmm. We don't always read our Bible. Now, some people do, and they do a great job, but it's even more than that. They might read their Bible every day and have a great prayer life, but then they're not a good witnesser. Or they struggle with faith, they struggle with anxiety, they struggle with Mm -hmm. stress, they struggle with worry, all those other things. You see, I I think sometimes our view of God is kind of like, you know, little orphan Annie. We're, We're all in this orphanage, and there's this tyrant that's ruling over us. But God is not a tyrant. Mm -mm. He is a loving father that is trying to lead us, to guide us. And again, I I don't want to go off on this or our time is running out. But so many Christians that I've talked to in ministry and being a pastor, they almost have this tyrant philosophy of God. This dictator guy up in the sky that is just forcing us to do things. There's a list of rules. And again, Anytime you have any kind of rules, people are like, ah, I'm not going to follow that, especially in the church. It makes no sense to me because there are rules everywhere in life. And rules oftentimes are there to protect us, Mm -hmm. to help us. Hey, kid, don't run in the street when there's cars out there. You don't love me. You hate me. I mean, our kid might say that, but we know what's best for them. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to die. Now, I know some churches and pastors can go to an extreme You have to do this to achieve holiness and righteousness, and that's wrong. But the Bible does give us things to follow Mm -hmm. from God, from his word. And yet, forget that. I'm not going to follow it. Well, it's because we have a lack of understanding who God is and who our identity is. And I want to kind of wrap it up with this, that, you know, God's love for you and to you isn't conditioned. 
It's not based on what you do if you're saved. God's love for you is unconditional. There's no condition of his love. And to me, that, that's what makes it so absolutely overwhelming. And really, one of the unmistakable signs of Christianity is a life walking in love. And to me, one of the most un- unmistakable signs of a Christian that is thriving in their identity is a Christian that is walking in love. And what I want to close with this morning, and I hope that you've stayed around for it, you know, we've been talking a lot about different aspects of love, and there's so much we could talk about. But understand that our foundation of our identity is imitating and loving like Christ, but then going back even further. Jesus himself was given an identity by his Father, and his identity was centered around love. Before he ever did anything on this earth, miracles and before he ever died, you're my son who I love deeply and I'm well pleased with you. You see, the moment we get saved, that's what Jesus thinks of us. You are my child. I love you deeply. I love you unconditionally. I am satisfied with you. That's what we need to be reminded of. That's what we have to understand. It's not based on the conditions, not based on our performance, not based on what we do. It's based on an understanding of who God is and what he thinks of us. And let that sink in. Your identity is given to you by your heavenly father. And this identity is centered around love. And even Jesus understood that. He, he knew who he was because before even the spirit sent him to be tempted in the wilderness, his father spoke for all to hear And what Jesus heard is that I am beloved. So with that knowledge, he was able to go into the temptation. Now, again, he's fully God, fully man. But I think it helped him and enabled him to go into the temptation because it doesn't matter what Satan throws at me. I know who I am. I'm loved by my father. And that's, oh, that's what, what makes everything so amazing. Everything's so amazing. So here's the good news for all of us. Our identity is the same as Jesus. We are loved. We are a child of God. If you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're loved, you're a child of God, and God is well pleased with you. And that's what I want you to understand. And I know it's more than just one lesson, one message. Identity and understanding it, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. It's a quest, so to speak. But when you fully understand the truest thing about you, it changes everything in your life. You quit living for yourself. You start living for God. You start thriving in the Christian life the way that God intended you to thrive and live. But again, we have to understand who we are, that we, if we are saved, if we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, and if you haven't, I encourage you, even right now in your homes, to settle that. Just because you come to church doesn't mean anything, honestly. Just because you listen online doesn't mean anything. You have to have a time in your life that you have said, Jesus, I am a sinner. 
Father, forgive me of my sin. Save me. And once that happens, your identity is the same as Jesus, that you are beloved, you're a child of God, in whom God is well pleased. Mm-hmm. Anything to close with? Now that you know you're loved, it doesn't give you the free pass to just do whatever you want. No, I'm loved. God's already pleased with me. So, But that's the whole point. When you realize you're loved, you'll, you'll desire to imitate Christ. You'll sure. desire to bear his image because he already loves you. So, and we're going to talk more about the trusting God factor next week in our Habakkuk study. But we have to give up every effort to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't save ourselves. And even if we are saved, we have asked Jesus to save us. We can't fix our mess. We can't fix our brokenness. So what we have to do is stop trying to save ourselves and start clinging to the only one that can save us. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of application I'm going to make next week. And again, leave with that. In Christ, you are beloved. In Christ, you are loved and you are his child.